Uh, let me start off with some prayer. Dear Jesus, we come before you, and um, thank you for thank you for Richard's Diva. That's just so timely with what we're talking about today. I believe you have something you want to speak to us today, so I pray that um, our hearts would be open and ready, and that we'd be willing. We wouldn't let any any excuse come in the way of um, what you're what you're telling us to do. No sin, no uh, assumption of we already know what um, what we need to do. We wouldn't let anything like that get in the way. We just want to be totally led and guided by you. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, why don't you guys pray if you if you all would real quick? Uh, I don't know if, if we have any newcomers. Sometimes we all pray together. Uh, it's kind of weird, but I I love it. Um, why don't we all just please pray for me? That God will really fill me and, and use this, and that people would be challenged to change and uh, etc. So yeah, just pray for me, please. So I'm super excited today. Uh, I get to teach on the parable of the sower, and it's all about how you hear. How well do you hear God? How well do you hear the truth that He's presenting to you? And it was that's exactly kind of the devo that Richard was talking about, kind of in a different angle, right? So, um, so how well do you hear? I want you to start thinking that right now in your own heart. How well do you hear God? And I'm not just talking about sound waves that come in and hit your eardrums and all, all the science. I'm talking about how well when God says something to you or something is said in God's word, do you accept it? Do you cling to it? Do you obey it? That's a big one. Um, are you ready to receive? A big hindrance a lot of times is you already think you know what it's saying. And so your, your ears are shut. So uh, with that, let's dive in. Kind of an example uh, I had of this is this happens to me in a lot less uh, in, in just a lot simpler way, just with me and Danielle a lot of times. I'll, I'll be sitting there doing some work on my laptop, typing away, and she'll say, Jason, can you change Judah's diaper real quick? And I'll say, yeah, 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 sure, sure. I'll do that. Yep. And I just keep going. And, you know, there's kind of a, sometimes there's like, oh, I'll do that right, right after I finish reading this or watching this video or typing it, whatever. Uh, she might have asked me even like a couple other clear details, like, uh, you, you know, use the diaper cream rash or whatever uh, cream. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. But I keep going. I don't, I'm not really paying attention. And then before I know it, it's gone. I didn't do what I said I was going to do. And so she'll come and she'll be like, well, did you do it? We're like, oh, uh, no, but I will, <laughs> you know? So that, that happens to me all the time. And it's because I'm not loving her. Well, I'm not, I'm not really listening, but I said I was, but I really wasn't right. And so that's kind of what today is all about. That's what our teaching is about, that you and I do that with Jesus. We do that with Jesus a lot more than we think we do. And it's a lot bigger than just forgetting to change someone's diaper, like my baby's diaper, Big, a lot bigger deal than that. So again, examine yourself. How well do you hear? So we're going to be picking up in Mark chapter four. And I think it's always helpful to kind of get a context to remember how we got to this passage, some of that's helpful information. So in Mark 1 is who Jesus is. He's the promised Messiah. He's calling his disciples. Uh, then we kind of see like what Matt shared. He's he's um, We see what he's up to every day. We get like a picture of what he's doing. He's praying a lot. He's casting out demons, miracles, etc. Mark 2, more signs, miracles, casting out demons. Uh, Ty taught on Mark 3, uh, signs he's doing to prove God's kingdom in his hand. And he taught on... Um, reasons why he's not doing things. There were claims that he was doing things by the power of Satan, right? 
Uh, and then there was a huge emphasis, I, I remember, on rejection. Rejection. He was rejected by the religious leaders. He was rejected by his family. So I kind of think Mark put this in here for a reason. And this is in response to a lot of that rejection you start seeing. And so it's like, what's you see how other people have rejected him. How are you going to respond to the truth that's being presented that Jesus is teaching? And so we get this parable. Um, so let's start here. And I think I've got it. Oh, I've got an outline. So sometimes out, outlines for me, I'm a, I was an engineering major. So outlines sometimes are helpful to see where we're going before we dive in. So an outline, you get the Jesus telling the parable of the seed and the sower. And then, uh, and then in the middle, well, then he explains it later. But then in the middle, you get this purpose of parables. Why Jesus taught him parables. And it's kind of interesting. Sometimes Mark would, would do that. Uh, or writers would do that. They would kind of create this sandwich almost. And so he's the, the parable explanation of parables and then the explanation of that specific parable. So we'll get into that a little later. And then at the end, we're going to go over another parable that I really think drives the point home that I'm trying to get across to you today. So now we're going to jump in to Mark 4, 1 through 9. And I'm sorry, you probably can't read that. Um, it's pretty small. But um, I used, yeah, I always remember I would tell Tad, whoops, I would tell Tad that his text was too small and now I do it too. So Okay, Mark 4, 1 through 9. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat on it in the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them with many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it, it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I love this parable. I think this is great. I'm excited to teach it. And I kind of wanted to, us to walk back through it again, because sometimes you read it, you've heard it, and you haven't really thought through a lot of the details. So we're going to do that again. I think I've got a, yeah, I've got a cool photo here. Can I get you in the scene? So picture this scene. Mark mentions crowds a lot. I don't know if you've noticed that yet. There's lots of crowds following Jesus. It says huge crowd. In fact, at the beginning of this, it talks about how he had to get into a boat. And really, because the crowds might crush him. Yeah, to get into a boat is also helpful for him to, to speak to larger amounts of people, but they're like all crowding around the sea, large crowds. Um, he mentioned Mark mentions that a lot. So imagine a, a sower, like a farmer, of some kind. I was thinking, okay, who's kind of a farmer in our who kind of grew up in a farm background? Shane, right? That's kind of what I thought about immediately. It's like, so imagine Shane's going out to plant a garden right in his backyard. This is Shane, obviously, this photo. Uh, and that's what he's doing. And um, he's scattering seed everywhere, which actually, if you think about it, we're going to get to this later. Not a not a great strategy. You're going to look for where, where you know the soil is good, plant it there. But this sower is planting it everywhere, right? So that's an interesting. So hold that in your mind. It goes on the seed. Some seeds land on the path, which is hardened by people walking on it. Luke, Luke. Uh, so Matthew and Luke also have their accounts of this. Luke adds that on the path, the seeds were trampled underfoot. Um, Mark just talks about how birds came and ate it. 
but it couldn't go. The seeds, the point is the seeds couldn't go into the ground. It was, it was hard. Rocky ground was the next one. So just imagine not much soil. Imagine rocks in this, in this ground. The roots, the seed goes in a little bit. The roots start growing, but they hit rocks. They can't go down very far at all. Uh, Luke also adds, because it had no moisture, that it withered away. So when the sun comes, the roots aren't very deep. It doesn't have very much moisture. The sun comes or wind comes. It doesn't, it doesn't have roots to draw moisture uh, when it needs it, when it's hard. Thorny ground. Uh, what's interesting is it mentions the thorns grew with grew up with the plant. So it kind of gives you this image. They started small. Maybe, maybe they didn't think they were a, a big deal. I don't know. They started small, grew up, choked them out, choked out the plants. And all this is in contrast with the good soil. What's the good soil? It yields grain. There's like a crescendo. It's 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, like an astounding result. And it's clear that's, that's what we're going after in this parable, right? That's what everyone wants. That's what God wants from this harvest. So, Uh, repetition. Repetition is really key. And we're learning in the, the Bible interpretation class, it's always helpful to look for repetition. And so to really get what the author is getting at, notice at the beginning of the passage, the beginning of the parable, he says, listen, it's like a very emphatic command. Listen, he's trying to drive home something. Almost like I'm, 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 I really, really want you to get what I'm saying here. And then at the end, what does he say? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I think this is, he's playing with them. Really listen to what I'm saying so that you will be like that good soil. Hear this, please. And again, remember what I said, hold in your mind. Why do you think he would put soil? Why do you think this in the, in the parable, the sower might put seed where it might not grow? In hopes, I think, that the good soil might be somewhere to be found or in hopes that if there are thorns there, that those could be removed. If there are rocks there, those could be removed. If there's hardened ground, that could be softened up, and then the seed would really flourish, right? I think that's the hope. That's the goal. That's what Jesus wants. So the point is, will you be that good soil? Will you hear the way you're, you, that we need to hear with a softened heart, that one that accepts and obeys? Another point, um, I think this is clearly shown Jesus' family rejected him. We just we were just talking about how his family rejected him. So it kind of seemed like there, there are huge hindrances there, right? But the seed was still planted. And initially, we see very clearly his brothers, especially James, followed him and became a leader in the church. So he did get it right. He did start listening and following, right? So I think clearly that's what the story, that's what the message is. God wants you and your heart to be that softened soil. Next, uh, in the next section, we get into the meaning of parables. So let's read this. Mark 4, 10 through 12. When he was alone, Jesus, the 12 and others around him, asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So you get this, he tells parables, he's telling some other ones, and then they come to him and they're like, what are all these about? What's going on here? And so he tells them a reason. It's interesting. They come to him in a private setting to ask about the parables. Uh, first, I thought it'd be helpful to go into um, an explanation a bit more about what is parable? What is it? 
um, because a lot of times we hear it and we kind of think we know what it is. Um, but I think this is super cool. What is a parable? The word parable means something that's placed alongside something else for the purpose of clarification. Something that's placed alongside something else for the purpose of clarification. So really, Jesus' parables were stories that were cast alongside to, to show us a deeper spiritual truth behind that to help us understand it because we it's hard to understand spiritual things sometimes we see physically we have we hear physically these were stories to help us illustrate bigger deeper spiritual truths that were going on behind the scenes and in one life i in one sense i think this is super interesting and cool jesus's life was like this in this way he came as a physical person to show us what god was like namely his character colossians says this he's the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation he came to show us what God was like so that we could tangibly understand. Jesus' life was an earthly thing in order to show us the deeper spiritual reality, again, of what God was like. So this revelation from God, Jesus, he's coming and he's telling us spiritual truths in parables. We best listen, right? We better obey. We better really hear what he's saying. So now that we understand kind of a little bit more about what parables are, why? Why did he use them? Why did he use them? Um, again, to illustrate deeper spiritual truths. But one one cool sidebar is that Matthew hits on, and when he's telling his, when he's recounting this, that um, it was actually also to fulfill a prophecy in Psalm seventy eight. Jesus, it was to, that he would tell parables and reveal things that have been hidden. So one of the purposes was to reveal things that have been hidden for them there and for us today. Uh, second, what he actually gets to is um, this idea, the secret of the kingdom, or, or the other authors say secrets, uh, Mark says secret, has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. So this idea of what does it mean to hear with no understanding, that's kind of, the, that's kind of what I'm poking at today. Are your ears working, but you're not really getting it? So it harkens back to uh, Isaiah 6. And I've, I don't know, I think I've mentioned Isaiah 6 several times in the, the past week. But Isaiah, Isaiah sees this vision of the Lord. And this is exactly what um, God tells Isaiah. My people are always doing this. My people are always hearing, not understanding. They're seeing, but not really perceiving. They're not getting, they're not getting the point. And Jesus here is saying, this is fulfilled. And Matthew actually says, this is fulfilled right here in front of you. It's fulfilled in their case. Whose case? Well, the people, again, right now that are hearing but not understanding. It's like it's like uh, they have working eyes and ears again, but the truth is not getting home to them at all. Well, why is that? Why isn't the truth getting home to them? And I think the whole point of, again, that sandwich design is Mark saying it has to do with the parable of the sower. That's why. The hearts are hard. It has to do with the parable of the sower. Here's, here's why. Here's the explanation why. So a couple notes. The, the mystery, it says, the secret or secrets of the kingdom is not given. It's, or it is given. It's not something you just attain. Who's it given to then? Is it arbitrarily just given? Or is it given to people who meet a certain condition? I have people already answering. But let's look. And I think it, it's shown to us in the text as to who gets the understanding of the parable. So notice who came and asked Jesus the question. In verse 10, it says, and while he was alone, those around him with the 12, so his disciples, but Mark is, 
Mark also mentions this idea of those who are around him. And it's kind of, initially when you look at it, it's kind of vague, but I think it's interesting because in Mark 3, it uses a very similar term. And it's the people he's talking about who are really his. So remember when uh, they come and they say, your mother and brothers are outside. Jesus said, and he looks at those who are around him. And he says, these are my mother and brothers. Why? Whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and brother and sister, etc. So his point is, these people that are around me, the ones who do the will of God, um, well, they are the ones who do the will of God. The point I'm making is, I think there is a connection there, that these people, the 12, those who are around him, it's talking about the people who already have this condition of heart of wanting to do what God wants them to do, the will of God. They already have this heart that wants to hear, right? Those who are around him were those who were interested in doing the will of God. So it's not just a vague random people, those who are around him. It's those who are really interested in doing the will of God um, and his disciples, of course. So they come, they ask him, they heard the same parable everyone else did. Now, Jesus actually gets on him a little bit for not understanding. You see in the next verse, but then he still tells them the meaning, which is super cool, right? Why does he, why does he tell them? Why does he tell them? I think because they came and asked him. They came and asked him. They simply just came and asked him. They had a heart that wanted to receive. They, they knew Jesus had the words of life. They knew he had the secrets of the kingdom, the spiritual the spiritual truths, and they just came and asked him, and he gave it to them, right? It's not tricky, is what I'm trying to say. It's not tricky. You have the right heart. Just go ask Jesus because he has the answers you need, and he'll, he'll give them to you. So I believe the ones that asked and received were the ones that had that good heart, soil, for the truths of God's word to produce a harvest. So, and then what are the secrets? What are these secrets of the kingdom, right? Are they some really deep, mysterious thing? No, I think it's salvation. How do you get it? Who Jesus was, what, what he's all about. What, what are the kingdom principles that, that are at play? Those types of things are the secrets. Because the meaning of the parable that we're about to go over was is a kingdom, it's a spiritual principle, right? And he's telling it to them. So those are, those are the secrets of the kingdom that are unclear, to some of the people who have a hardness of heart that are not able to hear rightly. So again, not a, just a random arbitrary group. It's those who simply have the right heart posture to come ask him. I think that's so cool. And Matthew adds a little bit later, he says, blessed, your eyes are blessed. Your eyes are blessed for they see your ears and your ears for they hear you're blessed for many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. So to understand, start understanding these things, but they didn't to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. So you guys, you're blessed. So I think that can carry on today. We can be blessed if you humbly come to Jesus and ask to receive his words and obey him. He says, he will say to you, that is, that is a blessed thing. So are you doing that? Not trying to come to Jesus with trick questions. That we see clearly they, the Pharisees came to Jesus, right? They had completely different motives, didn't they? Right? Trick questions, try to trap Jesus, try to show him why they were wrong why Jesus was wrong, try to show Jesus why their their way and their thinking was better than him and his way, etc. And not try to come to Jesus to try to fit him into your life. It's the other way around. The other way around. You come to him because he has the answers and you're willing to obey everything. That's the key. So it's all about how you hear. That's what I'm talking about when I say hear. Again, not just things coming in your ears, but hear with the right heart posture. So to you, will you hear the truth of God's word, press in, receive it, and obey? Or are you going to allow other things to snatch it, snatch it away, and harden God's truth to you? I love this. The writer of Hebrews says this. 
And I, I, I remember this a lot. It says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, if you hear God's voice telling you to do something, don't harden your hearts. Don't reject it. If you hear his truth, he wants to forgive you. He wants to give you life and fruitfulness as we see in that harvest. Will you continue thinking your way is better than his? Stop it. So the first step, as many of you know, the first thing he'll reveal to you is his way of salvation. And it's really coming to him, admitting your way is wrong, admitting you're a sinner, accepting him as Lord and Savior and following him completely, totally giving him your heart. If he really is Lord, King of the universe, why wouldn't you? It doesn't like make any sense if you really believe that. So that's that's the first step. But then he has more. He wants to he wants to make you into a fruitful person that he's able to use. He wants to he wants to increase that harvest. So we're going to go over the explanation of this parable now. Because the rest of this parable really gets, the explanation of the parable really gets into the nitty-gritty. Like, what are those things that are in the way? I pray God uses it to shine illumination in your heart. What are things that are in the way uh, that you need to deal with? And I would say, deal with it today. Don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't say, oh, I'll, do it, you know, I'll deal with it later, maybe next week, or sometime this week when I have more time to think about it. Deal with it right now. Um, so, and the other thing, um, as we start going through this, it's, it's easy, especially if you struggle with pride with which most of us do to start thinking like, Oh, wait, this person, this person needs to hear that. Right. And, you, and Oh, this person needs to hear that point. I want you to only think of, think about yourself right now. Like, are any of these things true of your life? Focus on yourself. Don't worry about other people. Okay. All right. Explanation of the parable. Let's see. Oops, sorry. I've not been tracking. Okay, explanation of the parable. Mark 4, 14 through 20. And he said to them, again, he gives them trouble. Don't you understand this? How then will you understand the parables? And then he tells them. So the sower sows the word. So the seeds are the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones that hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Again, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So again, the, the seed, this is the word of God, the truth, meant to bring a person to salvation and then to fruitfulness in the kingdom of God. Let's, uh, let's go through each one of these. I think it, Jesus, I mean, he is who he says he is, and he shows just the mastery of understanding the human heart and the human condition, and the ways we hide and the excuses that we have. He just shows a, a mastery um, just in this simple little parable. It's crazy. So let's look. The hardened path. Um, I've got some some visuals. Hopefully that helps you. The hardened path. So why was able, why was Satan able to so easily snatch away? Well, obviously the, the path was hard, the seed couldn't go down in, right? And it was trampled underfoot, etc. So because the path was already hard. So what is a hardened what is a hardened path heart? What does a hardened path like heart look like? Well, one. Hardened heart from rejecting or disobeying God over and over again. You know something God told you to do and you didn't do it. Um, 
you know, whether it's salvation, you know, he said to come to you and start following him uh, and, and for the rest of your life and you didn't do it or something that you're saved and, and he told you to do something and you're just putting up your fists fighting, that's going to create a hardened heart towards hearing God. I also think, uh, a Matt, like if you're angry or bitter at God, that's a, that's a hardened heart condition. You feel like God should have done something for you. Uh, but he didn't. And you feel like he maybe owed you something because, uh, you did all these good deeds for him. So he, he owed you something. And then he, it doesn't happen the way you wanted. And then you get mad and you're bitter at God. And you're like, you know, screw you, God. I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow you because you did this to me. Right. That's a mad, angry, hardened heart at God. I think continual unconfessed sin, addictions, any any unconfessed sin that um, you're hiding, well, that's effectively Satan stealing away the truth because he's got you in his clutches, right? Sin's going to blind you, harden you. I've I've experienced that in my own life. I, I shared at uh, a couple weeks ago on our holiness talk about I had a pornography addiction um, in early college, and I thought I was seeing clearly, but I was not. And looking back, it's so clear. But it's like when you're deceived. You don't know you're deceived, right? And so it takes things like this to really just shine the light and show you exactly what's going on. So if you've got unconfessed sin, even if you don't feel like you're deceived, you are. 100% you are. So addictions, sin, harden you over time. And I think uh, you can be hardened by self-righteousness. This kind of like, I'm I'm good, I've got it figured out. I've, uh, you know, I think this can really be a hindrance for people that grew up in a Christian home like I did, kind of like, I, I'm pretty good. I didn't do all this other stuff that these people did. That can really create a hardened heart. And that's really like the Pharisees, right? They thought they were doing it all right. They thought their way was right. They thought they understood scriptures the right way, but did they? No, they had a hardened heart towards Jesus and towards the truth. So does this describe you in any way? Are any of these things blocking you from hearing God and being fruitful? What then does a hardened heart need? What does the hardened path need? Farmer Shane, right? And he's a tiller or something, or a, you know, a hoe or something. You know, it needs a, it needs to be broken up, and that really is good old fashioned honesty and repentance, right? And that just means turn from your sin. Turn. You see it? You know it's a problem. Turn. Don't try to, don't try to hide it. Don't try to reason it away. Like just turn. Decide today, right now, you're going to go a different direction. Because you want that softened heart that's fruitful, right? Because God loves you. That's what he wants for you. So change your heart today and stop, like deal with the thing that's really in, in reality, it's killing you. It's going to lead to death, right? Charles Finney has a section on breaking up the fallow ground. Really good to just go through and realize all the ways, man, my heart's hard in this way. I'm prideful. I'm selfish. And that, that kind of crept back in, right? Think about a hardened heart or a hardened path. It doesn't happen all in one day, does it? No. It kind of happens over time as it gets walked over. It's the sun bakes it for a while. Doesn't happen all in one day, right? So, for Christians even to regularly examine themselves and like, what ways is my heart hard towards God? Because it happens. It happens to me. So yeah, if you look that up online, breaking up the fallow ground, super helpful to go through and just be like, man, my heart is hard in all these areas. And the goal isn't to just kick yourself about it. The goal is repent, turn from it. Soften up that ground, etc. So next we're going to move on to the rocky ground. There's a good picture for you. Rocky ground. So it, they hear the word and immediately re receive it with joy. So you get this idea that, of the seed. Uh, it gets planted. 
and it starts growing up a little bit, right? But then the roots, they run into rocks and then they can't get down deeper where there's water, where they, where it's going to need it to, to last the long haul. So it, it can't survive. Uh, so the sun, when it gets hot, it can't survive the sun. When the wind comes, it can't survive a strong wind because it doesn't have deep roots, um, things like that. So uh, Luke also adds, um, let's see, a time of testing, kind of in general. So Mark is talking about persecution and trials that arise on account of the word, on account of that truth. Luke, Luke is just talking about trials, and I think they're all kind of the same basket. So your ability to hear is hindered by not having, I believe, a proper understanding of trials and hard things or persecution, things like that. Thinking wrong, thinking wrongly that God should keep all bad things from happening to you. Or, like I said before, uh, that you did all this good stuff for God, and he should block all the bad stuff happening to you, right? No. So if you have an improper view of trials. So anyone who's had rough trials, and I mean, I, we just went through one, losing our baby in January. Um, you'll know what I, what, what is said is true. I think, uh, what I said back then is true that, that trials are kind of an e equal opportunity situation, both, both for God and the devil. They see him as a big opportunity, the devil to get you to despair and not trust God, not think he actually loves you. And then God to use them. He sees them as an opportunity to get you to grow and to teach you in the midst of them and to show you that he really is faithful through the trial and he's going to grow you through the trial. It's going to get you to the other side, give you peace and joy, even in the midst of the trial. Like that's crazy, right? Um, if you've talked to anyone kind of who's not following the Lord, a lot of people have walked away because from the faith, because they don't have a good view on trials. They don't have the right view. They get bitter. They get hardened. They let these rocks kind of sit there that kind of goes like this. If God's all good and all powerful, why do bad things happen in the world? And to me, uh, I've done all this stuff good for God. Why did he let this happen? So here's some notes, because this wasn't a sermon about trials, but I just wanted to kind of address this. A quick, Some quick points on trials. First off, when we correctly understand our own sin and wickedness before God, the question shouldn't be, why isn't why is all this bad stuff? It shouldn't be, it should be like, why isn't more bad stuff happening to me? I should be in hell right now, right? So that should be our, the correct perspective uh, at the outset. Number two, we live in a fallen, sinful world, right? If God just stepped in to stop every bad thing from happening, we'd be more like robots. So in order to give us a choice to love, he had to allow the choice of bad consequences, of bad choices and those consequences as well. And number three, like I mentioned, for a believer with the right heart, trials can, you can look at trials in a completely, completely different way. Jesus said, he actually promised you're going to have problems. And a lot of his followers actually were tortured to death still today. John 16, 13 says, I said this, these things to you, that in me, you, you may have peace because in the world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So again, He's saying that in me you will have peace, but also in this world you're going to have trouble. How does that work? right? How can you have peace and trouble at the same time? Well, if your heart's right with God, you can go through anything and still have peace and joy and know God loves you. It's incredible. And that's what we, that's what we experienced in, in January. Um, so his goal in letting, you, in letting trials happen is to learn that you would learn to ultimately have peace and really know that he's going to use them to have the heart position that actually thanks him that you're in a difficult situation, not because he's cruelly just wants you to suffer, 
and he, he enjoys that, but because he promises to use it for your good. It's an amazing truth. Romans 8, 28, again, we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. He's going to use it. He's going to work it to grow you, to use it for your good, to use it in other people's lives. And he's done that for Danielle and I in a lot of ways as well. So lastly, God does promise in the end to bring all evil and suffering to an end. He's going to bring it all to an end. And honestly, when we're in eternity, when we've been in eternity for thousands of years, this is just a blip on the map. We're not even going to, it's not even going to matter, right? So we get so sucked into right here and right now. So all those things are kind of points I was thinking together to just real quick hit on that, the trials thing, because those can be big time rocks in people's, in the soil of your heart. So again, this passage specifically mentions trials and persecutions because of the word. Mark specifically says on account of the word. So specifically as well, ridicule from friends and family or even persecution, threat of death. I thought of a friend of ours, a couple of us here in the church know a guy in Africa named Mubarak, and he received extreme persecution from his family when he when he started following Jesus. His dad put up uh, wanted signs in some of the mosques to hunt down his son because he he wanted his son to he, he wanted his son to pay for believing in Jesus like his very own son it's so sad but so Mubarak it didn't it didn't it's super hard but he's still following Jesus because he knows that's the truth he's not letting persecution on account of the word uh phase him so just an amazing example we sometimes think we're persecuted here in the United States it's like not really. What did someone say like a mean thing to you on social media or whatever? How, how much did that hurt? Not much, but there can be there, you know, sometimes ridicule from friends and family that can, that can hurt, but it's not, it's like here and there, it could be all the way up here. But even if it is way up here, you can know God's going to use it and he's going to give you peace in the midst of that. So yeah, having the right heart towards trials, even trials on account of the word is super, super important. So uh, if you don't, it will, be like those rocks. You'll be like those rocks that don't allow the roots to go deep. I love that imagery, right? Roots, roots just going super deep. Like the correct understanding of trials is like roots going super deep to a water source that you can't change that water source, right? The stuff happening above ground doesn't affect that water source that's deeper, that the roots are going down deeper to, right? That's, that's so cool. Like a, like a tree that has like a super intense root structure so what do you do if you realize man i got a wrong view of of trials again change your mind on how god uses trials why bad stuff's in the world jesus says it's going to happen we live in a fallen world etc change your heart ask god to change your paradigm on trial that's a big one okay thorns thorns and weeds this is probably my favorite one actually to go over the thorny ground so it mentions thorny grounds choke out the seed, choke out the, the plant, uh, cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. Choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. So again, imagine the seed goes in, starts growing up a little bit, but there were thorns and maybe they were smaller at one point. There were thorns there. There's like weeds, thorns there that weren't dealt with, right? And again, the whole point of this is deal with it. So this is what happens if you don't deal with it. Um, the thorns grow bigger and bigger and eventually choke the life out of the plant. How? 
by not letting it have water it needs it's it's sucking up the water by blocking the sun perhaps and even maybe by the thorns piercing the actual plant all those things happen if the thorns keep growing so essentially thorns not good obvious thorns bad first one cares of the world cares of this world um the word here means things to be taken care of like a lot like think anxieties of life there's a lot of ways you could say it cares of the world i think i think it's speaking directly to this like busyness anxieties of life things distractions things you got to feel like you get done you got to get done even things that might be good but they're getting in the way of the best things right the fact is many of us allow good things to crowd out the best things and i love this quote by Corey ten boom she said if the devil can't make you bad he will do everything he can to make you busy He'll try to make you busy so that those thorns, those thorns will grow and grow and choke out the word. Now you could be, I think this is important to know, you you could be busy doing kingdom stuff and that's what God's wanting you to do and you're sitting at his feet every day and that's good. You could also be doing the, the exact same kingdom stuff and not not doing the best, not doing the highest type things, right? So a lot of it's motivation, why you're doing what you're doing. Did God tell you to do it or not is a huge one. So again, social media, jobs, hobbies, phones, entertainment. Entertainment's a huge one. Fill every waking second of our day. There's kind of this, I don't I don't know if you feel this sometimes, if there's like a moment that you're sitting there that you're like, oh, I didn't know what I planned to do right now. What do you do? Do you start talking to the Lord? Or do you reach, I reach for my phone a lot of times. So this is for me too. I reach for my phone. Let me look at a YouTube video. Let me entertain myself, right? Um. I think I have a quote, but Leonard Ravenhill said about entertainment once. Uh, the only reason we really need entertainment in our life is because God's not enough. God's not enough for our joy. Like we need to fill it with other things, right? Um, so I feel like God really taught me a lot about this back in college because I, I had a season of life where I was like full-time engineering school. I was doing sports. I was doing campus ministry stuff. I was doing scholarship house, leadership stuff, Bible studies, small groups, so much stuff. Also trying to get involved with what Tad was doing as he was starting stuff up here. And it just it just hit me one day. I didn't, I didn't like have time to really sit and hear from God in his word, to pray. I was doing all these other ministry good things, but whatever. I didn't have time to get the best things done. I didn't even have time to uh, call my parents. Like, not just like, once a week, but like, I think it was that month. I hadn't, they were trying to reach out. Hey, how you doing? And I was just like, I'm too busy. And so it was kind of like a red alert, like something's off. And plus it was just really wearing me out. I think when you're in the right place, even if you are busy, but you're doing what God's telling you to do, you're not, it doesn't wear you out. I, I really believe that. So if you're doing it with the right heart, what God told you to do, I don't think it, I don't think it wears you out because he's going to give you the strength to sustain you. So so, so much stuff. Yeah, again, I didn't have time for the, the most important things. So how do you go, you know, weeding out those thorns in your life? Obvious time wasters should come to mind. Pray about, pray about these things. Because again, they're, the, a lot of them aren't sinful. They're just like, are they thorns that are choking out the most important things in your life? So obvious time wasters, movies, video games, social media, ask God, what, you want me to get rid of it? And if he says, yes, do it. Like, again, don't, don't wait. Um, Say no to the things that block out the best things. Sometimes even that's ministry. You know, God doesn't call you to be a part of every ministry. 
like that's out there and you can't you can't feel bad or let other people make you feel bad by not being a part of every single ministry you had to do what god wants you to do right and this this kind of involves really learning how to hear god's voice again what we're kind of here talking about these are the things that are in the way wise counsel learning how to say no to the things that you shouldn't be doing um and then you've got to just choose and sometimes it's hard sometimes it's easy to make those best things happen that you know that are the best things so your time with the lord you know if it was as important as you say it was how much how much time would you spend with them honestly just if it was really the priority you say it is how much time would you spend with them in the word and in prayer and then I also think it's helpful to set aside kind of a special weekly time just to really rest and focus on the Lord. Kind of this idea of a Sabbath. Does it need to be a whole day? Do you actually have to do it? I don't. I don't think so. But sometimes it's like it's it is really a helpful thing to break up the pace of life. Where's the you know you think of where's the classic passage on this? I don't know if anyone has an idea. Luke Luke ten. Choose the better portion. This one always just pops into my mind, and I hope it does for you too. So Jesus is going. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, don't, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the better portion, which it will not be taken away from her. So for her, there's so many things to get done, right? Time after time, like the um, the tyranny of the urgent, that thing that's right in front of you. So you're like, if you could just get it done, then you'd be good. It always happens. There'll be another thing and another thing. You got to learn how to deal with those and choose the better things at that at that time. Mary chose the better portion, so are you going to? That's the question. Are you going to choose the better portion? Sitting at Jesus' feet, listening, learning, obeying, kind of reminds you what that good soil looks like, doesn't it? Okay, so again, choose. Choose what are you what are you going to do? How are you going to get those weeds out of your life? And that's going to probably look different for different people. So, okay, deceitfulness of riches is second. How can riches be deceitful? I mean, we kind of we kind of know this, but they they create an illusion of safety and security built up by yourself. You're reliant on yourself and your own money. You have everything you need in life apart from God. Um that your value comes from how much money you have. Those are the ways money can be extremely deceitful. And that's clearly not you, but how like that, not true. But how many of you know lots of people who they kind of attained that level and they're super unhappy. They're like not fulfilled. They didn't, it didn't do it for them, but they thought it would bring them happiness. So riches are deceitful because they can easily, super easily. And, and like examine yourself. If you're like, I know I've got this covered. Like is do you though? Like, is it a problem in your life? They can easily become a driving desire for safety and security and happiness and identity. First Timothy says in chapter six, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And through its craving, many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It kind of sounds like thorns, huh? The love of money. So it's about where your heart is where your priorities are, what what's driving you, craving it, are you craving it? And even people that don't have it can have the same problems as people. It's not a matter of how much you have, it's where your heart's at. Um, I think Christians can have a lot of money and totally have a heart in the right place, be totally willing to give however much money to 
whoever God tells them to do. And I think God will, will ask people to do that. So, um, I think, I think it's a matter of who do you serve? Cause like Jesus says in Matthew six, you can't serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. So the question is, who are you serving? Again, if God told you to give someone a lot of money, are you just like, ah, but no, or are you going to do it? Um, Billy Graham, I love this quote. He said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I will tell you where their heart's at. Give me five minutes with their checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is at. And here's another test. Does, does money bring you anxiety? Does it bring you anxiety? When, when it seems like ends aren't going to meet, does it, does it hurt? And then that's a sign it probably has a wrong place in your life as well. So examine where your heart is at. Is money that thorn that's growing? Because it never, plants never stay still. Weeds never stay still. They're growing. You either deal with them or they grow, right? It's going to grow up and choke out your ability to hear and obey God's voice. I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. They'll deal with it. The wrongful love of money, get it out of your mouth. Get it out of your life. Get it out of your mouth. <laughs> okay. Uh, whoops. Skipped ahead too early. Okay. Desire for other things is the last thing that's a thorn here. Pleasures of life is what Luke adds. Um, wrongful desires, things you're going to get, you, you try to go to, to for your identity and security. They compete for priority with Jesus. So it could be sexual desires. I put I put together a list and it kept getting kept getting longer. So there's all sorts of things we kind of put our identity in. Um, wrongful desires for pleasure could be like food, could be success, could be even Christian success. Like I want a big ministry, like so that people will look at me and be like, "Wow, I want to I want to you know write lots of books just so people will remember me." Um, entertainment again i mentioned that earlier but entertainment or things like trips vacations experiences i think that's actually a big a big uh, thing in our culture today like you're seen as more valuable if you've had lots of experiences and traveled a lot right and then people want to hear how, how's that place that's not what brings you your identity that's not who you are doesn't mean and again these things are things that are they're not bad they're not sinful but to have your identity, to be getting your, that's, that's your source of joy. That's what you're living for. That's when it becomes a problem. So uh, fame, wanting other people's approval, others to note, like, and this is one, I'll just be honest, I struggle with. It's like, I want, I want you guys to think I'm a good teacher, but it's like, that can't be my primary motivation. That shouldn't even be my motivation at all. It should be my motivation. That I feel like God's told me something and you guys need to hear it. And it's, and it's for God. It's for God's glory, not my own, right? Or you want others, other people to notice you because you're a good evangelist or you're a really spiritual person. Like you go to all the prayer nights or whatever, like you're here. And that's no wrong motivations, wrong desires. Um, desire for a wife and good family, getting good things, but are they out of balance? Are they out of whack? The success of your kids, like you really want your kids to be success stories. So people will look at you and be like, man, you, you're really good parents, you know? Um I feel that already. It's kind of funny. Judah started walking fairly earlier than uh, other kids, and people would say that, and I'd be like, "Yeah, we did that." It's like, no, <laughs> we didn't. There's really nothing to do with that. He just he just picked it up on his own. And some kids learn to talk faster. It's like, yeah. So where where are you getting your identity? Where's where's what's um, yeah, beautiful houses, cars, 
business. I, here's another one to kind of get to this place where you're relaxed, sleep, you know, uh, that's, you know, what I'm living for sleep, relaxation, doing my thing. Um, wrong, wrong desires, right? The primary desire should be to hear from God, to obey him, to serve him, to love him. Anything that's competing with that is a thorn, right? So again, they're not sinful, but uh, they can easily, if not guarded against, can become, uh, can hinder us from having that pure, simple desire to hear from Jesus and to obey him. So do you really desire to live for God above everything else, above everything else? Is that true of you? A lot of times we say that kind of thing, but if someone looked at your life, would they really believe you? Would they believe that? If someone looked and just saw everything you did throughout the day and what you thought, would people would or would this would they say, no, this this is a competing desire. You're really living for this. Maybe Jesus on the side. Well, Jesus is saying those are thorns that are going to choke out your ability to hear. So deal with it, right? Um, and he loves you. He's going to help you. He's going to illuminate. I like one of the things, just ask him. Like I say, God, illuminate. What are those thorns in my life? Help me deal with them. Uh, if you're if you go away from this like super like oh my goodness I gotta you know quit doing everything and just sit with my Bible that's not the point. Ask God to show you what those issues are and then obey, deal with them. Say God, I want to be that good soil. And you see those those disciples who came to him and asked, what did he do? He answered them. He answered them. When you go and simply ask the right motives, he's going to answer you. So ask him to show you. Um, I don't think I think one of the devil's schemes is to get us to sit there and, and try to uh, you know think there's some mysterious thing that's deeper that you got to figure out and it'll be the you know the thing. But ask him to show you and then deal with it. So, um, are you willing to deal with anything he calls out in your life? Any thorn? Are you willing to deal with it? That's really what we talk about being surrendered to Jesus. That's what it means. That's what it looks like. So, okay, now on to the good soil. This is this is great. Good soil. Look at that beautiful plant. Yeah, that's what we all want to be flourishing, right? Really, really experiencing life the way God wants us to. So it's those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. That's what I want. Is that what you guys want? Like, I didn't hear right. <laughs> is that what you guys want? Yeah. When in the right soil, God's God's word bears forth an astounding harvest, not known to human efforts. It's His power. Um, John 15 says, this is my father's glory. It's to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So the fruit is the evidence of disciples. So, or, yeah, of the disciple and of uh, the good soil. So if you just look at the evidence of your life right now. It's like, is it evident that you're in, that your heart is good soil? Look at, look at the evidence. We're just so ignorant and prideful in a lot of ways. We, we just think and assume, oh, my heart is the good soil. Yeah. Other people, other people, other people's hearts not that good soil. My heart's the good soil. Um, but what are the chances that you're not, you're not right, that your heart isn't that good soil because you need to realize it's not in order for you to start dealing with those things. Right. And that's what God wants. That's the point. That's the point of the parables. He wants you to get to be that good soil. That's what he wants for you. It's not, it's not so we can point out that and you'll just be like, well, I guess I'll always have rocks, you know, or thorns. I guess that's the way it's always going to be. No, you missed the point. That's the whole, you missed the whole point of the parable then. So he wants you to hear this word, uh, hear the truth. So here, here's what Luke says. He adds this. He says, this good soil is they that hear the word and hold it fast. Hold it fast. I love that. 
in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. It also takes time because you got to learn and grow, right? It takes time. It takes discipleship. Um, here's a question. What about those plants that grew and were withered and choked out? Does that mean, does that mean they were saved and not saved? Whatever. What do you do with that? I don't, I really think that's not the point of the passage at all. The point is, what are you, what are you right now? What are you right now? And are you going to, are you going to become that good, that good soil? That's the point. So take a close look at how you hear. That's the whole point of that parable. And I think as we close, we're going to look at this last, this last parable. And I think it's really like hits, hits at home. It's so, it's so cool. So this last parable, driving the point home, right after this, he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Here's that phrase again. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I just want to emphasize this. This is in the context of hearing correctly, having that right soil. That's the whole context. So important. Because I used to read just, you know, sometimes if you just pull out a passage, you're like, what in the world? Like, it sounds like uh, God just wants to, if people have a lot of money, God just wants to give them a lot more money. Or just, uh, like, if they don't, then he'll just take it, but he just wants to take it away. It's like, this is not at all what it's talking about. It's in the context of hearing. So get this. I, this is, I want you to just really have this image imprinted on your minds. Pyrex measuring cups. Pay attention. Pay attention to what you hear, to the measure you use, to the measure you use. It will be measured to you and still more added. So picture a measuring cup. You can have a measuring cup with a lid on it, right? Not able to be, not able to use, not able to pour anything into it. Uh, just pretty useless for actually. I know, I know the lid actually is useful for what it was meant for, but the analogy I'm using it for. You're not able to use it as a measuring cup. You're not able to fill it up. You're not able, etc. So, and then the next one, something that's already filled. Something that's this one's mostly filled. You can have different levels of stuff that's already in there, and then this big, open, full. Uh, Pyrex measuring cup. So, which one can be filled and used? I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? Um, one with the lid. Do you already assume you know? Do you already assume that you know? Or is there, is there, is, are you, you know, stuff, stuff's coming in your ears, but do you already assume you know, you know what Jesus uh, wants you to do um, and you don't actually go and ask him? That's kind of what Richard was talking about. Just because something, is good have you asked god about it or just assumed that you know what's best or this this cup that has uh stuff already filled in it is that those things those rocks those thorns that are just in the way and you and you think you think you're receiving stuff but you really could be receiving so much more we all want to be that big open one because what's crazy what's cool is he says if you're the more and more you're like that able to receive able to hear being that good soil He's going to give you more. He's going to give you more. 
He's going to give you more what? Well, those, those, I think it's kind of all kind of the, the secrets of the kingdom, the things he's about. So first off, it's salvation. Then it's like a restored relationship with him, understanding who he is, how to walk in faith, truth about what he's up to, what, what are the kingdom principles at work, those things. He's going he's gonna to reveal those things to you, things he wants for you to do specifically, right? If your heart's open, you're able to receive more and more of that guidance, direction, wisdom, et cetera. So which measuring cup are you like right now? How much of God's truth and word are you even able to receive and accept and obey and respond to right now? And he promises to just really heap it on us uh, if our heart's right, if we get those all those things out. And he wants to help us get those thorns and rocks out. So are we going to do that? Are we going to do that? So in closing here, uh, an example I thought of was um, I don't know if any, if any of you had this happen where you you know you've got you've got something in the way like a th the thorns a sin the hardened heart you try to get into God's word it's just hard like you just can't you're not really receiving revelation about what God's talking about it's like a super boring book right but when your heart's open it's just like you can't get enough he just keeps showing you stuff and you're like that is so awesome and you just want to stay in that in that word that's that's a a prime example of that happening. So, and what about the, what about the one who has not morally taken away? I think it's really a direct correspondence to the sower's parable. The hard heart, the rocky ground, the thorns, that that plant eventually gets choked out, right? Or taken away by the devil, whatever it looks, whatever it looks like. Um, it's the person that doesn't pay attention to what he hears. He doesn't pay attention to the measure he uses. He's just sitting there with a the lid on, the the measuring cup, right? Um. George Mueller has this quote I want to close with. Let's see if I have it. Yeah. Is your heart ready to hear? Nine tenths of the difficulty are overcoming is overcoming when our hearts are ready. Let me start over. Nine tenths of the difficulties of are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it's usually it's usually just a little way to get the knowledge of what his will really is. So is your heart ready? Is it able here? Is it that good soil? Is it that open Pyrex uh, measuring cup? So uh, what does God want you to do? How does he want you to hear clearer today? How does he want you to deal with things? Don't leave today without doing doing those things. And I had a, a tie did this the other day. I thought it was great. I have a list. Here's a lot of things God could be saying to you. I don't know. I don't know your heart. What are the things you need to do? Uh, what do you need to deal with today? Maybe you need to. Maybe you're here and you you don't you don't know the Lord yet, and He's calling you to give give your life to Him. Well, be that softened heart. Come to Him. You know, admit you're a sinner and and say I'm going to follow you as Lord of my life, uh, all of my days because I know you love me. You created me. You have better better plans for me than my own plans, right? What does God want you to do? If there's any of these things, don't be don't again don't be like oh God wants this person to do that thing. What's God want you to do? How does He want you to have a softened heart? So. With that, let me close in prayer, and then we're, we're going to do some communion today. That will be a good time of response as well. So, dear Jesus, thank you for your word, how you're able to just illustrate so deep a spiritual truth from a parable, from a story. I pray that each one of us would be convicted and challenged. What do you want us to do so that we're, we're open, we're able to hear, we're that softened soil, so that you can use, use us. We take your truth and your word, and we hear it and accept it and hold fast to it and obey. Help us to be those people, Lord. Um, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.